Ready? Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is episode 31-3. I'm your host, Rob Nichols, and with me as always... I'm Pernell. <laughs> every week we listen to great video game music from all consoles and all generations. We pick a topic and we pick some music and we listen to it. And um, we've just been talking about limited edition um, sodas, soda pop. Sodas and cereals. And cereals. When you said you had a limited edition Cheerios box mm-hmm. from 2016. Oh, no, 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 not the Cheerios. So, oh, that was Mountain Dew from 2016. The Mountain Dew is from 2016. It's Mountain Dew throwback. And it was the <laughs> old container. It was like a jug yeah. that has Mountain Dew with the original sugar recipe. Right. As in not high fructose corn syrup. But the cane sugar. The cane sugar. Yeah. And it came in like this spiral container. And outside of camera was like this old, like, you know, gold, this old gold miner who was like drinking from the jug. He's like, hi, everybody. I like Mountain Dew. I lost all my teeth. Like, it explains literally <laughs> where the name Mountain Dew originally came from. Because if you look at the, the products now, it's like, what the, why is it called Mountain Dew? This doesn't even make sense. It's just a green liquid. But because the original slow box and mm-hmm. the original imagery, I guess, involved old like an old prospector who loved his just triple x container of soda yeah that stands to reason we need to we need to follow up on dr pepper like where did he earn his doctorate we know we got it from a back alley yeah i mean because you used to i mean coca-cola had coke dr pepper probably also had coke in it he probably he printed it out he printed it out on one of the but it was back then like it was an 80s printer it was what do you think gave you the pet before caffeine by the way oh about that Uh, loads of sugar Mm, helps, a, they, helps a boy um, work, work, they work rest and play. Because I never, the day I learned <laughs> about the Coca-Cola thing, that's why I was like, you know, makes you wonder what other weird soda trivia is out there I don't know about. Like, you know about Coca-Cola, right? Sure. What about it? You know, they used the, the, um, the cocoa plant, which is also used to refine into some other... Um, Illicit, illicit products. Products, yeah. So the day they, I guess the moment they realized that this was not a good idea, they stopped. Yeah, but that's I, where the name Coca-Cola comes yeah, from. Yeah, I didn't think that was like not common knowledge. I don't think it is. Like, I feel like probably a lot of people, people that we would, it, yeah. the circles that we swing around in wouldn't know that, but I now, feel like the general public wouldn't. Now, did you know that, you know, there's um, Frankenberry, there's Count Chocula. Did you know boop, that, boop. did you know that Booberry, Booberry was a drug? No. Yeah, I didn't know that either. You made that up. No, I absolutely, yes, I did. And you know what? It was probably just a joke that me and my friends told in high school that we thought was like funny. And then lo and behold, Breaking Bad came out years later with this sky blue. I got to find um, these old tapes because I used to record all my, my music from high school, which was very like electronic avant-garde stuff. And like one of the songs was called Booberry is a Drug. Well, I mean, in, in this defense, Booberry is addictive, <laughs> and it's the rarest of the monster. No, the second rarest of the monster. I mean, that's cereals. what it was, because in the '90s, it might, like one of them was like impossible to find, or they just didn't make. And it might have been Booberry. It was a, it was Booberry because what it was like in the '80s, there was four of them, and then one of them just completely dropped off, and then. The third one, being Booberry, just started becoming more scarce. Like, it showed up around Halloween, and outside of Halloween, you could only really find, you know, Captain Crunch, Chocula, and Frankenberry. And then, every once in a blue moon now, like, every couple of years, they bring Fruit Brute around you know, for, like, a couple of months. Fruit Brute? <laughs> fruit Brute. Fruit Brute. kills me every time. He's I a werewolf. That. I don't know why he called him a brute. He could have called him, like, you know, Wolfberry or something, but not even call him Fruit Brute. <gasps> Harry Berry. That would have been great. See, Harry yeah, Berry. Harry Berry. Um, 
It's not General Mills, Pernell. It's Conspiracy Mills. <laughs> and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Gripes. They're just churning them out That's one after another, processing them with whole grain deliciousness. Oh. That's how they get you. Kicks? They ain't kicks anymore, son. <laughs> oh, that's how you get your kicks. That's how they get your kicks. <laughs> it's kid tested. Oh, they tested on kids. <laughs> I loved kids cereal, though. <laughs> Which also, I like looking about the idea of like old cereals, how people who like grew up who were born like after like the maybe the mid-90s probably don't notice this, but back in the day, like you could chart as all the cereals became more and more sugary and they oh, just yeah. stayed there. Like I remember the day. Lucky Charms, which was already considered a sugary cereal. That was the sugary one that you you begged your parents to get. Oh, yeah, no. That they had to add, like, now we coat the oats with sugar, too. So now you got sugar-coated oats with <laughs> marshmallows, and then now we've got fruit-flavored Lucky Charms fruit, and honey-flavored <laughs> Lucky Charms. <laughs> fruit, fruit. fruit brew got the Lucky, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a good sign. Now, I will say, in our household, yeah, the, the Fruity Pebbles was like the holy grail of sugary cereals. And I, rem- but we never had it for breakfast. It was always something that it was available. If we ever bought it, it was like behind lock and key. I swear there was like a lock and key somewhere behind that cabinet. And that stuff was dessert, dessert food. It yes. was like a treat, like after lunch or it was just after dinner. And it was either um, Fruity Pebbles or it was fr- the Frosted Mini Wheats. And that's fr- Frosted Mini Wheats. And that's a trip because that stuff. And I still, at- I still love that. But like, oh no, I love for it. breakfast, it's so it's it's so sweet. But think about fr- fr- fruit like the Mini Wheats. There's a shocker too. That comes around to something I've been thinking about recently too. So Frosted Mini Wheats. Back in the day, there was Mini Wheats and Full Wheats. They were giant chunks of wheat, right? That and, you poured milk on, and then the Frosted Strawberry ones were the only co- other ones. That was the. Oh, sorry, it wasn't even strawberry. It was just frosted mini wheat. Right. For our, basic our, ones. Our UK listeners, they're called Weetabix. It's the same brand, or it's like same, it's just a, different. It's the same thing. Oh same wow! Brand. Yeah, Weetabix. I don't know if they sell um, like sweetened or frosted Weetabix. I don't know about that, but I know it's like that's the old man cereal, you know. And, uh, over here, the old man cereal, you know, is grape nuts. Do they still do grape nuts? Oh, they still sell grape nuts. I've always been interested in grape nuts. And I was like, a child, I was the one kid in my circle that liked grape nuts. <laughs> my my grandmother used to have, and I was the one kid. Like, oh, grape nuts! Um, but like, so eventually they introduced strawberry frosted mini wheats and blueberry frosted mini wheats, and it's out of nowhere. I don't know when it happened, but suddenly regular mini wheats and regular chunky wheat just disappeared. They don't sell them anymore. Yeah, it's just because, yeah, it, I mean, they know where their bread is buttered. They know where they're, they're frosting. Buttered with frosting. <laughs> their buttered is frosting. Like all of them. There's so many cereals that went that way. I'm almost positive. Well, I guess cornflakes still is because frosted flakes was the, con- the counterpoint to cornflakes. Mm. Uh, but, but you, know, you know, Sugar Bear's got his finger in all of these pots. Oh, Sugar oh, sugar Bear and, and Dig'em Frog. Dig'em, dig'em. Dig'em Frog, that's where he went underground. Well, yeah, that's you right. don't see ads about him anymore. No, but he's but he's still getting his money. I was thinking about this, right? So, you know, when we were younger, broadcast television was all was all everyone all anyone had, right? It was broadcast television or cable television, mm-hmm. and in between shows, we had commercials, and that's where we learned about. Yeah, you know, that's where they advertised to kids. Mm-hmm. So, where is it all now? Since broadcast TV is not much of a thing anymore. So is it like on YouTube? Do That's you a see good question. things for cereal? I said the good point because I don't think I have. I it feel is, like it, it's only been in the last five years or so that they started doing local localized advertisements even through YouTube where I'm seeing like Wawa hoagie ads on YouTube. 
That's the only way they can get because, I mean, there is still broadcast TV, but the odds of people actually watching it, it's like it's dropped off exponentially. Yeah, no, I, I recently I watched a lot of broadcast TV because of the thing that we had just had mm-hmm. um, gone through. And and I, we didn't have anything to do but watch a whole lot of broadcast TV. But like broadcast hasn't like you turn to like channel six, that kind of broadcast. Yeah, TV? yeah. It was just it was just there on the wall. I mean, we just watched it. And it was like like every ad, no matter what time of day it was, was like life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's a thing for the, the chair the chair thing that went up and down. Like every, oh, everything God. was like that. I'm so falling, I can't get up. Yeah, yeah. But then like you think about even that even, even back then, like we talked about cornflakes earlier. I wonder how many people even realized that Cornflakes had a mascot. Yeah, man, it's a rooster. Cornelius Rooster. Oh, he, oh, he had a name. He had a name. He was Cornelius <laughs> Rooster. And he had commercials. Yeah, that was a and weird. now, no one talks about Cornelius. No one knows about him. Special K's ah, mascot was a freaking just whatever Olympian was. Or that was Wheaties. Wheaties was the Olympian. Oh, wow. It was year. 1994. There was a movie... That I watched when I was in about like, Cornelius high Rooster. No, no, it was about it was about Kellogg's. It was, oh. What was his name? John John Kellogg. John Harvey Kellogg. The birth of a king. It's kind of a kook. It's called The Road to Wellville, and it's um, it's a little adult and it's a little silly, and it's all about this um, this kind of healthy commune that he created for people to go to. This was real. Yeah, it was real, but it's a, it's a it's a fake funny movie. Oh, okay. Um, who's in it? It's got some. Um, Anthony Hopkins, Bridget Fonda, Matthew Broderick. That's who I remember. Matthew Broderick is a recovering alcoholic, and he goes to this place to kind of get healthy, but it's just really bizarre there. And um, it's it's pretty crazy. Oh, Dana Carvey's in it, too. See, this whole talk. And John Cusack? Oh, man. This I, love, I, love, I love Cusack. And Joan Cusack? Joan Cusack. I don't remember Joan. Were they married? Were they no, related? That's his sister, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's great. She's She was in um, Gross Point Blank. I don't think about Grossville High. I didn't know about Gross Point Blank. You ever seen Gross Point Blank? I have not. We're never starting this episode. Gross Point Blank. <laughs> I love it. I watch it at least once a year. It's one of my favorite movies. It's um, it's very like early two thousands, late nineties. He's a uh, a guy leaves high school, mm-hmm. right? Um, joins the military, and then acquires a certain set of skills and becomes pretty much like a sniper slash undercover hitman. And then uh, five, I think it's ten years later, his his high school reunion comes up and so he goes home to this high school reunion where everyone thinks he just dropped off the planet no one knows where he went but he came back with these special skills but he came back and, and people are and people are still out there trying to kill him Dan Aykroyd plays the villain it's really good it's really really good I have to look into that I love I love that movie because it's it's constantly fast paced there's like a lot of like like funny violent scenes and um and and it's just great it's just great and, and uh, Joan Cusack plays kind of like uh, the person on the other end of the phone that's handling his money and like where to go next, but I, hey, he's a hitman. It's, it's really good. And I will say, as a trade, I can recommend something based off of the topic we had earlier, if it still exists on the internet. Which is, it was like a comic book I used to read. That against the internet, everything's forever on the internet. Um, it was a comic book that some guy put out, and the idea was like he took all the serial mascots and put them in like an actual world. Oh yeah, no, we talked was, like, about this. War right? and conflict. Yeah. And it was just this really cool idea. I don't even know what the heck it was called, but it was like, like breakfast, like the breakfast conflict, the bre- bre- breakfast of the gods. Breakfast of the gods. There we go. Yes, it was so engaging. Like I read every issue they had available at the time. <laughs> it was just like stupidly good. Like uh, there's Tony the Tiger, and uh, it's crazy. Like Count Chocula and Frankenberry, legit evil characters. Like 
Tony the Tiger, I think he was like roiding up or something on like on on the on frosted wheats. Uh, here's a here's, here's a here's a line from the book. Here is perpetual night. The darkness suited only to the likes of thieves, murderers, and late night snackers. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Captain Crunch could have been an admiral. For for Frankenberry's profile, it's said that the evil deeds he commits for the for the count Count Chocula include kidnapping, torture, murder, and grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> like I I kid you not. Like it was very much engaging to see this guy wow. like you know i'm going to characterize all these serial mascots and create this living breathing world of characters and this narrative that they're all on some of them don't make it out <laughs> no i'm uh i'm reading this and a lot of this is actually hidden behind spoilers because it's actually very um disturbing so i'm like yes. i can't read any more of that yes uh, wow. But in your free time. In my free time. It is so worth it. Don't know about that. <laughs> it's so worth it. Don't know about that. All right. So we've talked about enough breakfast cereals and, and whatnot. We didn't even get two cans, Sam. Yeah, that's right. That was the Fruit Loops, right? Mm-hmm. Now that, I do like Fruit Loops. They're so good. It, they smell delicious. <laughs> I love the smell. The smell of Fruit Loops. Uh, this, to me, the smell of Fruit Loops is almost <laughs> as important as the taste of Fruit Loops, does that does that make sense to you? It makes total sense. They they yeah. they, they feed off of each other. Okay, now that's that, now it's out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week's uh, topic is something that you brought up, and we wanted to you wanted to share something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so and we're gonna kind of listen to music and maybe tell stories or just wrap it around this theme for today. Yeah, and honestly, like it should be interesting because this this is a weird situation, but I think the nostalgia element of the serial talk earlier kind of helps with that. So I learned, I guess, a few days before this episode that an old friend of mine passed away. Um, she went by the name of Miss Pat. Uh, and you might be wondering, well, why the heck is he bringing this person up on a show about video game music? Well, one, I just want to. And two, um, well... I was, I know basically I knew her back when I was like maybe eight years old or so. And at that time, heck, even in some respects, now, I didn't have a lot of friends. Like I was very, very dorky. Um, high water pants, high socks, uh, made p- kids picked on me mercilessly. So I didn't have a lot of friends in my neighborhood. And this lady who was like in her mid 40s or so, um, her husband was always working and her daughter was in her teenage years. So she was, you know, at the point where was like, I want to talk to you, mom. I'm doing things, you know? So she was always out too. And for whatever reason, which I cannot fathom, she took to me and was like, Hey, want to play this video game? I got, I'm having stuck with it. Like, that's how it was. It was always something like that. Like, I'm stuck on this game. You want to help me out? I'm like, okay, sure. Mom, can I go play Miss Pass House? She's like, sure, go ahead. So I would go, I'd play video games at her house and they ended up becoming this relationship where she'd invite me over and I'd beat games for her. Like, that was literally a thing. And it was always hard games. It was never easy games. They were always hard, at least for me. And so all the picks I have from this episode are in relation to the games that I played at Miss Pat's house. Um, and there's something to be said I'm going to leave with, and it'll probably end up being part of the end, remember, too, in the fact that it was really special to me because it gave me something when I didn't have anything. Like... You might be hearing yourself thinking, well, but Pernell, you had a Nintendo in your house. You know, you could just play all these games. Like, it's not the same. Mm. It's always like how I mentioned on the show, the idea of like, you know, games are, to me, they're just as much about being social about them. They are just playing them in your house by yourself. And that stands with this because 
There are a number of games here that I probably wouldn't have gotten into like I did, but I got into them because I was playing them at Miss Pat's house, and she was like, so what are you doing here? Are you stuck on this thing? And I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Miss Pat's counting on me to beat this game. I'm all young and goofy. My thick Coke bottle glasses didn't matter. I was going to win. And then she would make homemade ice cream sometimes. She had an ice cream maker. So oh, she would awesome. make ice cream, and it was like order pizza sometimes. It was just this really nice thing. And then she eventually moved out of the neighborhood, and I went to visit her a few times mm-hmm. to where she moved to. But over time, of course, because she got older and I got older, it just dissipated, you know. But I always remembered her. And then I got that notification out of nowhere. I was like, hey, for now, I just want to give you a heads up, which I didn't expect to get. Like, her daughter contacted me. I wanted to give you a heads up. You know, my mom passed away, and I figured you'd want to know. And I'm giving you information for the funeral service and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, thank you. I really appreciate it because I told her, I was like, you may not realize it, but your mom played an extremely important part in my life. Like, I still talk about her, despite having not seen her in, like, 30 years. Mm. So, this episode is about Miss Pat, and it's primarily just, like, chatting about the games and stuff that I played with her and all. So, it should cool. be fun. Yeah. So, I think the first game I'm going to pick is a surprise one here. Um, that comes from the game Super Sprint. Um, this ah. is the title theme from the NES game, and it was composed by Brad Fuller. Welcome back. You're listening to the title theme, um, title theme from the game Super Sprint on the NES, composed by Brad Fuller. Uh, I know earlier I said that I would hang out at Miss Pat's house to finish games for her, and you're probably thinking, well, how the heck do you really finish Super Sprint as a racing game? Well, and it doesn't just finishing games. Sometimes she just said, Pernell, I have no idea how to play this game. Help me out. And I go, sure. And it's funny because Super Sprint was perfect for that because... This, have, this is going to be a running theme for a lot of the games in this episode, but when you're at it, and I kind of miss this element of life in gaming, when you're at that age, you're learning everything about gaming. Like right now, you you know the rules. You know that if you play a Final Fantasy game, there's fire spells and these weaknesses and all, but when you're a kid, everything's new. So you have to figure it out on the fly, and there's no one, at least back then, there was no one to really tell you. Yes. So, in the case of this game, being that it was an arcade port, this was the first racing game I'd ever played where you didn't push up to go up and down to go down. It was left and right in proportion in relation to the direction the car is facing. Right, because it was a steering wheel controller in the arcades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I didn't understand that. And it took me a surprising amount of time to realize, oh, I'm steering the car with left and right. And I'm like trying to push up. I was like, why am I not going up? It doesn't make any sense. She's like, I know, right? I understand this game. And for why I hated Super Sprint. I hated it because I couldn't figure out how to drive the stupid car. And then when I when it clicked for me, the magic happened. And for the record, this happened to me with Super Off Road too, which I ended up playing later. Oh, the same thing, yeah, with with a um, steering wheel controller, mm-hmm. a Tim Fallon soundtrack, which is good soundtrack. Sidewinder is my baby in that. Oh, game. and and with a, a heavy uh, Toyota tie-in with the Super Nintendo game. Really. 
Yeah, the 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 car the car upgrade select music uh-huh. is the Toyota theme song from the '80s. Whoa! So now I have to go and look I that love up. What you do for, for me? Why first Toyota? When I first heard that, I was like, No way! <laughs> they put Toyota theme song. See, in the ADS one was the one I primarily got a chance to play. So like the tracks I remember from that game are Sightwinder and Fandango, and then beyond that, it's like I don't know. And I wish Super Sprint had it more music than this because it would have been a nice reference. But I very much once I got a handle of the yeah. game, understood it. It clicked for me more, and I appreciated it. But at that time, when I'm sitting in this this lady's house feeling frustrated, I can't turn the car. I can't turn the car. I don't want to look stupid, though. And I'm not mentioning it on the episode because I didn't pick a track from it, but another game that hit me with a similar level of frustration that I played there was, uh, what was it? Marble Madness. I played that at her house for the first time. And anybody in this chat that's played love, Marble Madness, you know... Horrible game as far as the difficulty goes. Like it's a fun game. I love oh, yeah. Marble Madness, but yeah. again, arcade controller. You needed the trackball mm-hmm. to really get the full effect of it. I played that game on my. I'm not sure if I had it on my Apple II, but I had it on my old Tandy computer, and I put I put so many hours into that game with the keyboard mm-hmm. that when I played it on the NES, it was like bring it on. You know, it was like it was like with a controller, like up and down on the left and right on the on the on the on the controller. As pad. a <laughs> roll the ball. Well, I never, I never really got around to playing because because that I was too young when that came out mm-hmm. with the with the, with the roller ball. But I was playing it on the keyboard, up, down, left, right uh-huh. on, the, on the keyboard on, on the computer. But you you brought up a point and <laughs> and I had a funny memory of learning how to play. some of these games. You needed a, a manual to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, either you weren't going to read the manual, couldn't read the manual, or you were just going to figure it out. And a lot of these games you could never figure out. And a lot of those games were like adventure style games, like Dick Tracy, like probably um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, and that one too. Any game like that. Um, uh, what's another good one? Uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And Nightmare on Elm Street. So like, sometime in like middle school, some a friend of mine. I had an NES. I had like two games on it, maybe. And a friend of mine was like, "Hey, you know what? You want to borrow some of these games? I really want to borrow yours. I think I had like Tiny Tunes, and I have like a whole stack I don't play anymore. Why don't you go and try them?" And I, suddenly I had a stack of like 10 games and now I real, and I couldn't figure out how to play half of them. <laughs> and now I, and, and only now as an adult, do I realize these were games like who framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> <Dick Tracy. laughs> that like no one was going to, or uh, like back to the future, uh, Bill and Ted's X. Like no one's going to figure out how to play these games. I think about like with Friday the 13th is especially the case because on one hand uh, with something like they, the Goonies, like Goonies two. You could kind of put the pieces together and say, I can knock on this. It would still be hard, but it was possible. Friday the 13th, they gave you no cue (laughs) that you were supposed to run around the camp finding very specific parts of his mom and then taking him to another specific place. Now, there's a a game that's very, um, that's kind of infamous on the Legacy Music Hour, and it's called Time Lord. Oh. And Time Lord is like that, where like... The, the, even the, the the booklet tells you you have to go and you have to find these three spheres or so many spheres to get to the next time and you have to do something in that time but what they don't tell you is that the spheres pop up randomly and so some, there's no way to trigger and, them you have to do certain things like jump on this one spot in order to make it appear somewhere else Oh, and nothing tells you that um, he uh, so Brent Weinbach from the show did an episode with the game Grumps where he played played through as much as he could of Time Lord and after like about 20 minutes, he's like, this is like a puzzle. I'm enjoying this now. <laughs> but on the show, if you are um, if you are naughty or you do something bad, your penance is one or two lives of Time Lord. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we that's def- that the that's immortal definitely up there. Uh, the immortal. I played that. I played so much immortal. Game is awful. Awful. I, I like, was. I didn't play it back in the days, yeah. right? So. Actually, this is recent-ish. I was at dinner with uh, my buddy from Hey Poor Player, and they were getting really nostalgic about him and his friend were getting stupid nostalgic about playing The Immortal. Yeah. And I'm like, I never heard of this game, but apparently it was getting a re-release soon. And lo and behold, like a day after that dinner, I got a request. Like, I'm Joe from SML. I was like, hey, we got a review code for this game called The Immortal. You want to try it? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we were just talking about that. Sure, I'll try it. And I was all excited. Like, I got to see what all my friends it's, were hyped about. It's painful. That game is awful painful. They had the they had the Genesis version and the NES version on it. You could play uh, either one the, you want. Oh, I forgot there was an NES one. I played the, on the Genesis one. They both suck. I was, as a, as a young kid with a game that's kind of violent like that, and it's kind of supernatural and... Um, it's just, it was fascinating to me. Like, I like difficult games. I like puzzle games. I like isometric games. Yeah. And yet, somehow, despite this game having all of that, I still hated it. Ooh. Now, with that said, I will say, if they just got rid of the combat, I would have probably been more willing to deal with all the other cryptic craplinch that happens in the game. Like, the fact that you could buy the boots from that guy for slime, and then the slime still killed you because the boots were faulty. It's like, <laughs> what the? Why is that a thing? It's such, it's, it, well, it's, it's rogue. Rogue was like that, you know, like you just, you, you could step in a room and you would just die. You, you, you'd never know. You, you get a potion and unless you had a scroll that told you what the potion did, you drink it and you would die, you know, and like your progress would all be lost. That's, that, that was Rogue. And so a, a lot of classic dungeon crawlers and... That's where the roguelikes get that from too. Yeah, it all came from, it all came from American pen and paper um, uh, uh, RPGs and... Rogue. And I'm going to tell you something. Extension of that. As an older man who loves roguelikes, that facet never got better. I mean, that in, a, in the most endearing way possible. You I play Sharon the Wanderer, it's a great time until they start making you identify every item you find. We're going to have a stream. We're going to have a stream, and we're going to play Rogue together, like original Rogue. Oh, mercy. And you're going to... Uh, I played it to death. I've never played the original Rogue, so that would be hilarious. Oh. All the roguelikes Pernell plays, he can play the he can play the originator now. Yeah. How does it work? You are an ex... A monster is an M. A <laughs> <laughs> monster. The fact that you even ha- can see anything around you, and they're all uh, just you know char- ASCII characters. But does it work like normal roguelikes do, where they only move when you move? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it's rogue. It's ro- 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 rogue. It's the, the first. original rogue. Yeah. Um, okay, so one more one more story about this style of game was Solstice. I rented Solstice because I had a <laughs> I had a badass muscly wizard on the cover. Was it when he had his arms up and the lightning striking? Yeah, line? yeah, and the Tim Fallon soundtrack, um, which I was, which really like blew me away. Like what got me into video game music as, as a as a younger person. But that was a game that I didn't know how to play, but I just banged my head against it until I understood that oh, it's a puzzle. It's like a platforming puzzle. And I fell in love with it. As hard as that game is, I still want to go back and play that. When I played some of it as a later as a later person, like to see what's all the fuss about with this game. And I liked it, it was the way where like it was like the floating squares. He had yeah. the, the wizard was just purple with a hat. Yeah, it was very very difficult to control. There were times, and I'm not. Was there a Super Solstice too? There was uh, Equinox. Equinox, okay. I, or Equinox. I was so. I, I, and I'm okay saying this now as an adult, but there were I would get to parts in the game 
where I didn't know how to get past a certain like area. Mm-hmm. And if you let the game title screen run on, it, it demos. It has a demo mode showing you the different stages, and it can show you how to solve those areas in the game. Well, that's pretty cool. And that is how I got to listen to the entire title theme to Solstice and being like, what is happening? I'm not going to lie. There's definitely something really cool about that. What I mean by this, like, it's the equivalent of like those things, those puzzles you'll find on the back of a box of cereal. And I'm like, hey, solve this riddle. But then if you flip the box over, it's like, here's the solution if you can't figure it out. So it's almost like saying, you know, we're giving you the solutions if you really want to find them. But we're going to make you, you know, actually work to see them so that you can actually try until you yeah. officially get tired of trying. But at the same time, you get to listen to Tim Fallon's like seven minute NES epic, <laughs> which did not deserve like to be in that little game. Um, another one was the uh, the skater die too. Die, 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 die. Yeah, that one. Like that. For some reason, like, I turned it on, and I was like, oh, this is cool, and I played the game. The game was really hard to figure out, but I eventually banged my head against that game to figure out. Uh, but the theme song, I would leave on, and I'd go to the bathroom, and I would come back, and I'd be like, this is rocking. Yes, Greater Die 1 and 2 And that's, where, that's when I fell in love with Rob Hubbard, so um, my next track is not Rob Hubbard. Um, so I'll be playing some more um, sobering tunes. This is from... I'm going to start with a game... Celeste. This is from the game Celeste. I was thinking about Lena Rain because I played a Lena Rain track the last episode. Um, this is a track called My Dearest Friends. It's the uh, ending theme to Celeste, composed by Lena Rain. That was My Dearest Friends from the game Celeste. That was composed and performed by Lena Rain. And I love the very... It's almost like an intimate 
sound of the piano. I really hope it's it's a because it it's a real piano. It sounds like it's a lie, like a real piano that's been microphoned really closely. Because mm-hmm. you can hear the fingers on the keys, you can hear the hammer hitting the strings, and even at the end, at the very end of the track, you can hear it kind of clunk off. But because it's Celeste, halfway through the song, she accompanies herself with that kind of synthesizer, like pingy sound. It's almost like um, Celeste is singing. Not Celeste. Um, I it's called Mirror Celeste. Or, Ma- or is it Madeline? Madeline, thank you. I forgot her name. I'm amazed I remember it. Yeah. Because you played that game to death. I did. I uh, Start to finish. Um, really, Not really just good. that. You did the B-sides. I did and a- some of the C-sides. No, I never got to a C-side. None of the C-sides? Never, never went to the seaside. The seashore. No, <laughs> stay um, away from the seaside. Well, the, the 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 conditions of getting to that was to complete all of the B sides, and I could not do that. In fact, the skills needed to get good at that game they don't stay with you all the time. So if I were to go back to this game and be like, oh, let me see that go to that stage that I remember, it, it, oh, it you was, have to relearn it. It was halfway through the game, and I would never be able to do it. So when the um the the farewell of Celeste came out, which was the uh, the, the oh, it was like DLC one. The it? DLC came out, and it was all super hard. And I, I immediately picked it up, could not get any anywhere in it, and had to put it down. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm done. It was incredibly frustrating. I picked I picked this music because um, though Celeste is a lot about you know battling your own personal demons, and and also then eventually befriending your personal demons, and it, which anxiety and depression and actually working through the, the the puzzles and the platforming of this game is kind of a therapeutic way of, of dealing with that as well um, a, a, a through line of the story is an old woman the the, the mother at the, at the at the bottom of the mountain Celeste oh the old the, lady the old lady that she meets and then she gets kind of let she gets letters of from throughout the game and the farewell DLC is she goes back to the mountain and she's passed away. Oh, so, and and it's kind of her understanding that and coming to terms with um, someone who meant something to you, but you haven't seen in a long time, and not knowing that they left. Oh wow, that's that is fitting. Yeah. So I thought this works really well. <laughs> it really does. But yeah, to the letter. <laughs> There's no mountain, admittedly, but it's everything else is well. No, 100%. There, there, there was a mountain, and, and I think it was your childhood. You know, it was it was a coming of age like that for Celeste. The mountain is just a metaphor for her overcoming her own personal. It's her personal growth, and you had growth too. And, and she was multiple there feet of it, yeah. But also emotional growth too. <laughs> yeah. So, and I really love this song. It's so it's it's really sweet, and um, it makes me happy that the game ended in this way. You know. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the ending photo is like her with the the bearded guy whose name I it was on the tip of my tongue and I just forgot it. I don't know. I don't remember. And the old lady, you know, the guy that ran the hotel. Yeah. Um, I love that guy. <laughs> oh, creepy guy. They were yeah. all like sitting around a cake or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's all because he collected all the strawberries to make a strawberry pie. It's a lot of strawberries for one pie. Well, and the golden strawberries. Those are just special. I'm sure they didn't cook those. They're, they were saving those for a special occasion. <laughs> they were absolutely saving those. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the song, the song makes me think about um, my grandfather. So he passed away when I was um, much, much younger, and he's one of the reasons that I really appreciate music today. Because mm. growing up, he was always singing, never stopped singing. 
and he just loved singing. And then um, now, was he the type that would like sing songs that he heard on the radio and he really liked, or was he that guy like I like walking no, down I, the street? I, exactly. I always thought that's what he was doing. But in fact, they were just old timey songs that I didn't know about. That's actually a bit core, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, and then uh, years later, um, when my mom, my mother um, was moving, she left our childhood home and moved moved away. Um, we were clearing out the house, and we found all these old records. And what we found was records of my of my grandfather singing. Um, I guess it was maybe just after the war. It was either just before or just after the war, but he was obsessed with opera. And he went, and back then, like tape recorders and stuff like that weren't really around. So he went to a studio in Philadelphia that did private press, which you can like record your own stuff and you could pay to have your own record pressed. Oh, I remember hearing about those places. Yeah, and that's what he did. And he went there and he recorded um, a few um, opera songs of what he loved. And it was really fun to hear his voice again, singing these songs and trying to hit the notes and a couple times like not making it and kind of like coughing and laughing a little bit. And given the fact yeah. that they come from an era before, you know, cell phones and everybody having a recording device on hand, that makes that extra special. Yeah. But he had to go through, he had to go through the effort of producing it. It was, and it was still around for you to find. Yeah. I'm really, really happy. I was able to recover those. It was tough because they were recorded as 78s. And most players that you can find now only play 33s or 45s. That's the diameter? That's the speed. Oh, okay. Um, and so to get a 78 to play meant that I had to record it and then um, speed it up again. Ooh. Or like, like change it to the... Oh, right. I feel like I remember it. You had, to, you had to process them. Yeah, and I had to do a lot of cleanup too because they were really dusty. <laughs> they were really... Because, because again, those the records that you would pay for for these things, they weren't meant to be mass produced and then sold mm-hmm. to be... Like you, you like an album, record album, if you kept it in decent condition from 30, 40 years ago, is still going to be fine today. But one of those was like really lightweight. It was kind of flimsy. It wasn't meant to last. It was meant to be like that thing you'd have almost like going to a a carnival and be like, here, take it home for the kids. Yeah, they would do that too. So um, yeah, that was a fun story I thought I would like to uh, to share. It's a cool story. Yeah. I also just picture you're going, I'm having a good time. Digga, 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 Joe. And it's like, what? And also something to be said about that too. Like I think about the idea of like, because my dad, I mean, he I wouldn't call him old timey things, but my dad listened to like a bunch of like classic, really classic Motown. Mm-hmm. Um, tracks that came out like, you know, before I was born and probably twice my age at the time. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing in the sense that it might still be this way and I just don't process it because I'm the old man now. But I feel like back then when he would talk about these tracks, the Al Greens and the Temptations and all that and just just artists I don't even I can't even name anymore. Maybe Smokey Robinson is like the last one I could possibly name. But like I couldn't find their stuff. Like they they didn't register for me outside of him knowing them, right? Whereas I feel like now people are still referencing music that I listened to yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's all now just one homogenous blob of music. Mm. Whereas before there was old timey music and modern music and you might hear yourself saying well Pernell, there's still oldie stations I'm like yeah but i listen to oldie stations and they're playing music dial stereo being played at the gym so <laughs> it's not like they're actually separated out anymore yeah the oldie the oldies like it kind of moves up a decade there's like there's like a window of time and it moves up it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't expand most of the time you know you're not gonna you're not gonna keep hearing like the, the, the old 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 stuff oh no that i get that i get it, yeah. d- it shifts up but what i'm saying is like 
take the logic you just said, right? Or I said, like, you hear it at the gym. You didn't hear Al Green and the Temptations at the gym in the 90s <laughs> at all. Probably even not in the 80s. So, by that logic, I shouldn't be hearing Nirvana at the gym right now. <laughs> I shouldn't be hearing classic Stone Temple Pilots at the gym right now. Well, They're idea. technically oldies, quote unquote. Yeah. But... Here they are. They're a part of the modern and they're a part of no, the old. No, they haven't gotten to oldies yet. Right now, they're, they're probably considered... They cl- play Will Smith's Summertime on the classic okay. oldie stations. Class, that's classic rock. They haven't gone... It hasn't gone to oldies yet. <laughs> There's another stage. Give me that. <laughs> Just give me that for now. There's another stage left. <laughs> There's another stage um, before that, and it's called Denial. <laughs> <laughs> the Denial Station. We've got... Rocking hits like I was getting name a band, but I'm like, wait, man, I'm already homogenizing them with like old bands. I look like garbage. We got only happy when it rains on the denial station, WKSP. The I don't know what you're talking about station. Only happy when it rains. Okay, all right, it's not complicated anymore. All right, <laughs> I love that song. It's a good song. All right, what's your next track then? All right, so this one is definitely worth bringing up because. Well, I'll talk about it in a minute. This comes from the game Mylon Secret Castle, and it's the second stage theme, or where I know it being played at, the well area, and it's composed by Takeaki Kunimoto. Welcome back. You're listening to the second stage theme, or stage theme two, I should say, from the game Mylon Secret Castle for the NES, composed by Takeaki Kunimoto. I hope you like that track because it loops quickly, and I'm glad I like that track because I heard it loop incessantly forever and ever and ever and ever freaking <laughs> ever. Uh, Mylon Secret Castle is a game that I have fond memories of now because it was another of Miss Pat's I Bought This Game Helped Me Beat It titles. And yet, I feel like in any normal sense of the word, I should hate this game with every fiber of my being, because... <laughs> it looks pretty awesome. I'm oh, awesome. it looks awesome, and I had fun playing it, yes. But, we were talking earlier about games that just have, like, these weird cryptic solutions and, like, mm. weird scenarios. This game is full of it. Hell, I'm actually playing it right now, because that was my, like, in honor of her, I'm actually playing it again, right now. And, uh... <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was watching this like this 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 long play, and he just like randomly jumps up and hits a block, and a suitcase pops up that takes him to the bonus stage where a bunch of musicians are playing music, and you have to catch musical notes as they shoot into the air, which is adorable. But how would you know to ever do that? You just hit every block with your head and hope one has <laughs> a thing in it. That's what you did, because again, the game was cryptic. They don't tell you this stuff, and. Some of the solutions to puzzles are just like weird. Like, for example, there's an item you can buy at one of the shops, which I should also mention. The way you find some shops is by pushing blocks randomly and then shooting bubbles into the spot that had the block in it, and a door might appear. And sometimes it just does nothing. Um, but there's like a boxing glove item that you'll see on certain levels, like the well, where I was stuck at for a stupidly long amount of time as a child. And this boxing glove does nothing off the cuff. Like, it does absolutely nothing. So you're like, what the heck is the point of this? What am I supposed to be doing here? And it turns out, somewhere else in the castle, you gotta find an item that you purchase that allows us that when the boxing glove punches you, it shrinks you down. And what? now you can squeeze into different slots. But if the boxing glove punches you again, you grow back up. And sometimes you don't want to get punched. You're, God, Christ. This game is frustrating <laughs> as all hell. And I mentioned it in the past on the show on some odd side note, but it's also worth noting that... The game takes place across four floors. Like, okay. you have to essentially go from room to room across rooms of the floors of the castle and acquire money items, which you can use to purchase items in hidden shops, which can allow you to solve more puzzles and acquire more space in the castle. At the top floor of the castle, there is a door that you can enter. And if you enter that door, it sends you all the way back to the beginning of the game. You have to do it all over again. Hmm. I've done that. That's that's rough. It is cruelty to people and cruelty. animals. And this is an early NES game. So this was... I would assume that this is before... No passwords. Okay. No save system. No passwords. No save states. This was before the rental market was started to eat into Nintendo profits. And they were like, we got to make these games harder no matter what. <laughs> but that... And that is cruelty. It's true cruelty. Like, like nowadays, that would, that would never fly in a game... Unless the game was intended to be like jokey cruel, because nowadays we want to treat the player with more respect than that. This you game know, like we, we no respect man their or time, woman or child. You respect their ability to learn the rules of the game. You know, you don't you don't need a character following you around saying, "Hey, listen, press the X button to jump." <laughs> hey, listen, wag the Wii mode. Like we don't need that <laughs> Whacked anymore. Wii. We're past that. We understand how to teach how to how to how to the, the dialogue between the game developer and the game player. We this don't. game had no dialogue. It was, here's the castle, <laughs> get inside. There's a guy, a frog just appeared out of thin air, shoot him with a bubble. And he comes right back, so it doesn't even freaking matter. And you finished this. I beat this game as an eight-year-old. That's... Sorry, nine-year-old. I beat this when I was like nine. You're like, oh, man, you think you're hard? You think you're hard for beating, like, Halo or Call of Duty? I beat Mylon's Secret Castle. I played through a surprising number of difficult games at a young age. Like, yeah. I... I don't know what it was. Like I, if, I think it's, it, it, it works in the present day, too, as long as there's time. I'm really stubborn when it comes yeah. to stuff that I am enjoying, more or less. Like If you give me a history book and say, write a report on this topic, period of history you don't care about, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be stubborn. I'm going to quit. If you tell me I'm a complete idiot and I can't do it, I'll force it. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to like video games, though, if I even find a modicum of enjoyment from the game, and the thing that's holding me back is the fact that it's just like kicking my butt, or I can't solve a puzzle, or something like that, I will beat my head into the wall until I figure it out. The only thing that really prevents me from doing it in the present is that to do the reviews and stuff a lot of the time, I gotta move on. 
But if I didn't have that move on pressure, oh, I'd be there. I'd be there all night. I'm gonna figure this out. There's something in this room I gotta open up, and I'm gonna fucking find it. Find the thing. Oh, I see. I had to shoot both blocks, and then run inside and push the block, and then shoot one up, then shoot one down, then jump into the hole, and there's a door there. Who would have thought? No one told me, but I figured it out because I'm just, I won't quit. Persistent. Persistence, Persistence is key is the in key. tortures. Yeah. It's why I have a hard time going back to these games. <laughs> <laughs> and it's why I'm not sure if I'm going to end up finishing this game ultimately. So I'm not using any FAQs. I'm just playing it again. Yeah, I don't think I was ever going to finish Solstice as a kid. But just getting as far as I did, I was pretty proud of that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's and a lot, a lot of times, like, we didn't buy a lot of games. We just rented them. So I was never going to finish them in the, in the time allotted. Mm -hmm. Like, really never going to finish them in the time allotted. But there was something about that era, too, where, I mean, yeah, we got frustrated if we didn't pull it off, but you didn't have to beat every game you played. Like, no. It was no. a matter of trying. But then when you meet the legendary kid on the playground who did... You're like, oh my god, how'd you do it? And that ends up becoming a whole thing. It was like, we're going over to his house on this weekend. He's going to beat this game yeah, yeah. for us. And, and then you go to his house and you realize that's the only game he owned. <laughs> and, now, and, now, and now he's our age and he's in his 40s and he's like the number one speedrunner on the internet. Of that one game. <laughs> oh, that like, one like game. Fester's Quest or whatever. Oh god, don't get me started. <laughs> that wasn't a Miss Pat game, but Fester's Quest can go to hell. All right, we got to keep things moving here. My next track is going to come from the game Kingdom Hearts. Music composed by Yoko Shimamura, and this track is called Always On My Mind. That was always on my mind from the game Kingdom Hearts for the Sony PlayStation 2, two. right? Yeah, so it's uh, PlayStation 2. <laughs> I don't know why I totally didn't remember that. But that was composed by Yoko. We're getting denial, Rob. We're getting denial. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm deeply in that right now. <laughs> we're getting denial. Composed by Yoko Shimamura. I think Kingdom Hearts 2, 1 was my favorite. I've, I've only played the first two, but I feel like it told a story 
that went off the rails a little bit, but it was it was still there. You it know? was before it became super convoluted because they saved the convolution till the very end of the game. Yeah, yeah. But and, and also with the music, we were as the music was playing, I was just um, reflecting on how I think the first game had my favorite my favorite music, and it was because it was so thematic to that opening um, piano theme um, for all my friends. I think it's called all the way to this song, which plays towards the end of the game called Always on My Mind. And there's a lot of like fun, you know, Disney-ish type tracks, but it's all Yoko Shimamorized. You oh, know? oh, she she killed that. Oh, she killed it on every Kingdom Hearts OST. Yeah. There's no question about that. Actually, believe it or not, uh, this is actually fairly recent. A uh, listener and friend Kristen on the Discord, hmm. she recently talked about Kingdom Hearts 3, and it got me reflecting on the fact that I started that because... Kingdom Hearts, for anybody who's in the know, everyone at this point should if they liked Kingdom Hearts in any capacity, was that there was Kingdom Hearts, and then like two years later, there was Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. And then maybe, I guess maybe three or four more years later, there was Birth by Sleep. And there was a whole lot of nothing for like 10 years. And there was just constantly, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming, and it just wasn't, and it wasn't. And then it finally dropped. I, oh, finally, I can see everything. Are we going to save Aqua? Are we going to stop, you know, Ansem or whatever the heck he is now? Ansem, the 95th, whatever the names are. Is Sora going to get his Mac Mark of Mastery license? Also, Dream Doth Distance was in there somewhere, for those who know. And I bought it and took it home and played through, like, the first part of the game and met dumb Scrooge's nephews, and I just stopped. I don't know why. I mean, I always tend to say things like I got annoyed by the mm-hmm. constant amusement park ride summons because I felt like I want to beat people with a key, but the game kept saying, prompt you for a combo, prompt you for special combos. Like, I don't want to do special combos. I want to beat people up with keys. <laughs> I thought that was so bad about that. Um, but I feel like deep down, that couldn't have been the reason I stopped. I feel like that would have just been an annoyance that I would have persevered through because overall, I still maybe, like maybe running maybe around it's just not and stuff. holding you as much. Like, I, am I, I think about this game about Kingdom Hearts 3 and I'm like I would love to go back and like kind of revisit like the game's characters I remember remember watching you play at your house and being like it's a beautiful game Mm -hmm. like it's it's how I want to remember the characters of Kingdom Hearts 1 looking Mm -hmm. even though they don't look that good in fact I went back and watched gameplay and I thought oh yeah it's not it it doesn't look as good as it used to it holds up uh, for that era Mm-hmm. But like watching it today, watching Kingdom Hearts three, it's like oh, it's like a Pixar movie. Yeah, they, they really stepped it's it up. It's really impressive. And, and I thought like it would be really fun to go back and revisit that world and that gameplay. But, Honestly, it but might- after Kingdom Hearts two, even through Kingdom Hearts two, I had no clue what was going on, and I kind of gave up. Like at the end of Persona five. Like, I couldn't really keep a lot of it together in my like, head. Why are they in the Quilof world? Well, you save your kids. What the heck is yeah, a Quilof? Yeah. And so, like, all this, like, JRPG stuff starts to kind of, like, unravel. And I'm like, it's like at the end of a Final Fantasy Just game. Just know Buff had a bet. And he won the bet. So he was pushing to what he do what he wanted to do. And your guy said, no, you can't. And then you stopped him. That was what happened at the end. But um, but in the first game, it was just like, um, there's the soulless... Heartless. Heartless. There, oh, yeah. were, there was the nobodies. No, no. no. So you're already going too far. See, that's exactly it. So Kingdom Hearts 1, they oh, kept it, it simple. Oh, was the nobodies from 2? 
They were from two because oh, what happened oh, was yeah, kid, this is why I think Key KJ was on when we were talking about that before. Oh, like yes. back when Kingdom Hearts One came out, it was okay. so simple. When that guy went off on on the stories, I'm he, like he knew his stuff. He knew his stuff, but like it was one year and out the other because I'm like I don't I'm not, not going to retain any of this information. Well, all I'm going to say is Kingdom Hearts One. They kept the reason why it worked for a lot of people was they kept it really simple. Mm. Kid on island is with friends. Island gets decimated. He gets transported to a new place, which happens to be. A Disney Kingdom, Traverse Town. He meets a bunch of cool square characters. Yay! Yeah. And he decides up to hang out with Goofy and Donald. Yay! To find King Mickey. Yay! And then you explore cool worlds and you meet Disney characters you like. And it's fun. And the only adversaries are heartless. And they're easy to explain what's a heartless, you know. They're beings who had their hearts stolen. Yeah, makes sense. And you're trying yeah. to stop this guy from resurrecting Kingdom Hearts using all of those hearts. Right. Makes sense. And there's a interpersonal story between him and his friends growing up in um what was the what was the town was the was Destiny the island? Islands. And Destiny Islands and then growing up essentially growing up in this world now. Yeah, because they have they're exploring separately to right. get back home. And growing apart also. Mm-hmm. But then towards the towards the end of the game. That one event happens where Sora becomes he he turns himself into a heartless by unlocking his own heart for some yeah, reason. That's what the key was for. That was what the key. He unlocks his own heart. He becomes a heartless, and then he's cured, and he becomes Sora again, which also results in a nobody being born. And that's when all the confusion started. Roxas. Roxas is the nobody, and they bring up Kingdom Hearts two, where it opens up, and the heartless, the nobody is the main character you're playing as, but you don't know that. You're anything. You're like you're in this town that didn't exist until this game. All you care is like, like oh, you're a guy named Roxas. Now you have to eat fight, ice cream. Fight in a tournament. Eat sea salt ice cream, which, by the way, I still want to try that. Ooh, that sounds good. I don't know what it is. I just know these kids kept eating it like they're, it was some kind of drug. There, <laughs> like Put some Coca Cola in there. Oh, there, there was. It's <laughs> funny. No, there is. Um, there's an ice cream place in Rehoboth that's like um, they do crazy flavors. That's what I'm yeah, all about. Yeah, I like yeah. crazy flavor ice cream. Yeah, that's that's where you want to go. Check that out. But like, I will say, when it came to Kingdom Hearts and the grand scheme of things, in the end, though, I hit a point where I knew that I liked getting stronger, I like beating people with keys, and I like hanging out with Disney characters. And even though I couldn't completely track what Ansem was doing and who the other guy was, because you know he was like he was like a rebirth of a, of a main character. Oh, man. I'm never gonna know. I stopped. Gonna... I, I I tracked it so loosely. I didn't yeah. care. At the end, I was just like. I want Sora to win, yeah. and I want to help King Mickey. Well, that's what's going to happen. Like, you're going to throw in Kingdom Hearts 3. It's been years and years and years since you thought about it, and all of a sudden, all this craziness starts going on, all this nonsense. You're going to be like... Well, the one thing I do know, and I can well, say I this... Up with that. I can say this, though. Birth by Sleep worked in a way where it... It was still confusing at certain points, but it gave me enough to know that I have a certain incentive for Kingdom Hearts 3, which is... And you don't know who the hell I'm talking about right now, by the way, but... I want to see if I can save Aqua from the dark place because okay. she's been trapped there for like ten years, and that's died. That's that's if you played Birth by Sleep, that's the big that was the lead PSP into three. One you played right, huh? That's PSP. Yes, and there was one called like Chain of Memories. Yeah, that was the one that was between one and two, where like Sora meets Namine but and the card game. But that's not one point. Five remix. No, one point five remix is actually one, but they added all the old content back in that they cut. They added for like the extra mix or whatever. So there is like there's like YouTube videos that like cut together like some of the cut scenes and someone explains the story so you can watch it through uh-huh. and get kind of condensed condensed version to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. They're still like hours long. That's a lot. So to give you some context on this, and then people are like, "God, this became the Kingdom Wars episode." Is that uh? So if you buy 
it's like the story, call it the story so far. That's the best version to get that you can still buy 1.5 remix oh, and 2.5 remix. Yeah, yeah. But br- the story so far is literally every Kingdom Hearts game. And heck, if you ever want to borrow 1.5 and 2.5, I think I have them <laughs> somewhere. Guess, but, guess what game I'm not playing this year? <laughs> <laughs> none of those. But like they, they're at the point where like each of those releases included like three or four games, right? Now, it would end up actually being like two games, full games. But then one or two of those games would just be the cinema scenes from that game. They don't wow. even give you the game. It's like, you just want to watch all the cinema scenes. And like you said, they're like hours worth of video. Oh, it's so much. Which is also interesting because it's so much voice acting too. So it's a lot of... Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, was a child. Yeah, young Haley Joel Osment. He could see things. He saw dead people and now he sees cartoon characters. I saw him in something recently. Oh, man. And then he was killed in it and it was really funny. Oh, my God. Well... He, he became that which he saw. He was good, though. I'll tell you this, though. I liked him in it. All right. <laughs> uh, what's, your, uh, what's your next track? Okay, so this one is 100% appropriate because I want to say this may have even been more frustrating to play through in that era than Mylon's Secret Castle. And that was The Adventures of Lolo. Oh. This is the main theme from that game, composed by Hideki Kanazashi. You're listening to the main theme from the game, The Adventures of Lolo, from the NES, composed by Hideki Kanazashi and developed by a very, very young fledgling HAL Laboratories. Oh. Uh, you might know him as. Oh, I see. If you don't remember him, you might. Uh, you didn't play this actual game. You might remember him from the original Kirby's Dreamland, where he and his girlfriend Lala were actually bosses on the second stage, Castle Lolo Low. Where he and La La La, because they decided to add an extra low and la to their names for whatever reason, were relegated to just boss characters. And I, then they were never seen again. I like that in these in these games, like Kirby and stuff like that, they, they were like, okay, we got to go back and find some iconic characters to put into our games as villains or as different worlds or as new characters. I think we can see them again. People will recognize them and they'll love them. And they pick these characters that are just circles with more circles for eyes. But it sucks because, <laughs> like, in future games, they revisited other bosses from Kirby's Dreamland. Wispy Woods, Cracko. Yeah. Like, there you've been in multiple Kirby games. And yet, and, uh, of course, King Day to Day. Um, and yet, somehow, Lolo and Lala, eh, they stayed. They never brought them back to did any he, future version. Day Day Day? Yep. I, 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 used to call, I used to call him DDD, but over time I overheard him being called dumb day to day, and I just stuck with it. Also, if I say it quickly, it sounds like day to day. So I'm like day to day. Oh yeah, I remember kind of kind of kind of rolls off the tongue a little easier like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this game 
can go to hell uh, <laughs> in every sense of the word. And I say that with pure endearment because I look back on this game with a almost sense of masochistic appreciation and love, fondness. Uh, this was another game. This Pat bought, said, hey, Purnell, you want to try this game I purchased? Deep down, I'm starting to think she just liked buying games knowing they would frustrate me. Like, she was trying to keep me from... She was trying to see if she could find a game I couldn't beat. She tried to stump me. This game almost did it. It is nine stages, each composed... Each nine worlds composed with, like, nine stages mm. of you just climbing a tower to this track. And only, only this, this track. track. Yeah. And it... The, Classic it's, Ness. It's a puzzle game where your little ball ball named Lolo. A little blue ball. And your goal is to navigate a stage and collecting a bunch of hearts which will then in turn unlock a treasure chest which contains a board which unlocks the door to the next room. And as you collect hearts, of course you're again evading a variety of monsters. None of which you can really stop. Some of them are just there to be annoying. Like there's like a snaky guy who just sits there and just spins and he can't hurt you, but you also can't hurt him. And then there's like Pushy, who just pushes you into walls. But then there's Don Medusa and Medusa, who are both a stationary enemy and a moving enemy. And most specifically with Don Medusa, if he sees you, you die. Like he freezes you and he shoots you and you die. So you have to figure out ways to navigate around these enemies and find the items. Yeah, the game is more of a puzzle. Or like a it's puzzle 100% a puzzle yeah, game, which is great. why like you were watching the video earlier of someone playing the game, and every floor, when you transfer to the floor, you go, the battle's still continuing. Like, There's no battle here. This is just a mental massacre. There's no fight taking place. <laughs> It's just you trying to navigate these rooms and dying incessantly over and over and over again. But then you get that sweet solution. It feels like hot buttered gold. Okay, now, is this one of those great. things where like, you can like rack your brain against a certain stage for only so long? And you run out of continues and have to start the game over, or, is it, or are you allowed to just keep going at it, like going at it? I feel like I recall there being lies because I remember having passwords. Okay. Um, but so at least there were passwords then. Yeah, because so. I can definitely tell you that I kept coming back at it, so it's probably because of password usage. But the the game did throw some curveballs to you too, like so. Off the base, Lolo had no abilities. He could just walk. But every once in a while, <clears throat> a heart would give you a power up that's like uh, limited use. So one might be a disc. And when you fire the disc and hit an enemy, it's most enemies, they become eggs. One hit turns them into an egg, second hit kills them. Sometimes, though, you don't want to kill them, you want to turn them into an egg, because then you can push them into places before they hatch, and, like, block things or turn them in the bridge or, like, floating rafts around mm. the water. Um, there's a bridge you can get that makes a bridge across one tile of water. There's a pickaxe that destroys one rock. And I think that's all the power you could get. And you had to, they always would figure into the puzzle. Like, if you found an item from a heart, it's like, crap, that's going to be part of the puzzle somehow. What do I use it? How do I use this? And it started to get really, really hard. And I never played two and three, though I now want to play three. I actually grabbed it today before coming over here with the intent to play. I know that two was on the, on the NES, but so is three also on the NES? Yes, all that, three of them were on yeah, NES. That's really cool that this this little puzzle game, like they just kept iterating on on the same system. I only wish they changed them more because from what I read, Adventures of Lolo 2, which is funny because back in the day, the kid, I saw Nintendo Prize, like, oh, cool, I want to play this, but it changed nothing. It's just more puzzles. Um, and in the third game, they gave up. They added very few things. Like they added uh, a new enemy who only shows up in the underwater stages. But the underwater levels are just 
new tiles. Um, and there's a world map that takes you to different places, but those places are just rooms with puzzles. Like, there's no, like, cool items. There's no permanent upgrades or anything. It's just, like, more block pushing. Um, and with that said, I would still totally play this again. It's almost the equivalent of, like, getting a new Picross puzzle. <laughs> a new Picross game. It's like, hey, here's new block sliding puzzles featuring cute Lolo. Yeah. So, I, no qualms with that. If the, you want uh, more... Like, the, the crate... The crate pushing games. What was that called again? Sobakun. Or Sobakum. So... So... Sobakun? I keep wanting to say Sobakun. I have it. Sokoban. And I said it before you found it. It's Sokoban. 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 That's what it was. Sokoban. I told you about the one I recently grabbed, right? Where it's, it's, it uses molecules. It's called Sokobond. Oh, that's... Uh, no, I don't think I've heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a Sokoban game, but it uses, like... You're trying to build molecular molecule... Or molecular is. structures. And, uh... The, there's like different tiles that create properties like you can swing the Sokoban molecule around uh, a swingy tile but at the moment they connect and form a bond you can't like you, you can't alter them anymore you can only push them together huh. so it complicates things a bit I'm, yeah. now, I'm now playing Sokoban while we're doing the show <laughs> Christ there's, um, there's actually if you go to uh, SokobanOnline.com it's just free Sokoban and there's a billion puzzles and it's Endless hell on earth. <laughs> very, very frustrating. It is hell on earth. All right, so my last track is coming from a game we haven't heard from it in a while, but with one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. It's a Flash game composed by Flashy Goodness, who did the music to the, um, the, the game Rivals of Ether and all of its iterations after that. It's his Tower of Heaven, and we're going to listen to the track Atop the World. Atop the World from the game Tower of Heaven, composed by Flashy Goodness. Made a great track for Rob's attempt at playing a Sokoban puzzle. Yeah, I know. I was like, I, I gotta finish it before the track's over. Um, yeah, so most of the of the of the music from Tower of Heaven is all 8-bit. Because the game is Oh Rivals of Ether. Or are you talking about the area in the game? No, so Tower of Heaven is a Flash game. Oh, that's a Flash game. This is a Flash game. So you got me thinking about this darn A30. I know. So it's a, it's a Flash game that's made to look like it's on the Game Boy. Ooh. And most of the music is 8-bit style. There's a couple tracks that have a little bit more instrumentation in it, and that's this is one of them. And then there is, on the SoundCloud, they ha- he has a couple arranged tracks from the game. They're, he's all It's all so good. Um, we'll have links to his Bandcamp on the website and you should if you're listening and you like this you should go to the check that out because his whole catalog of music all of the games a couple of them are on uh, mobile games that you can't find anymore 
and they're they're amazing. I just listened to them all the way through today. They're they're just so so good. But yeah, Tower of Heaven is all about um, climbing a tower, slowly losing the ability to do things like 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 now you can't jump or now you can't do this or, or you, know, you take your abilities you climb higher. Yeah, or you can go here, but you can't step on that. You know, and it's 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 short, but um, I feel like it's it's all about like. I mean, it sounds depressing, but it's about aging and then reaching the tower, and then it's all, uh, uh, and then understanding death. Oh, I guess that makes sense. It's a part of the idea of, like losing your abilities as you go higher. Yeah, right. Or or learning to overcome these these challenges. You know, so as there's a game I just came across recently that you might appreciate, at least for the concept of it. I'm considering buying it, but I don't know if I have the heart for it. Um, and it's like something like 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 live die again or something like that. I can't remember the exact title of it, but it's like something like prepare to die again. And the premise is that you are a JRPG hero in a kingdom. And at the beginning of the game, you defeat the evil overlord that's, you know, planning to destroy the world. But he, he deals you a fatal wound in the process. So you're about to die. And a, I guess an entity, a goddess or something, takes pity on you because, you know, you put in all this effort only to die at the end of your journey. Mm. So she says, what I can do for you is I can resurrect you for five days. So you're going to die in five days. But you're exploring the world that you just saved and experiencing the stuff that happened after you saved the world. Hmm. Now, the other premise to that, aside from obviously the fact you're exploring a saved world, in air quotes, is the fact that as each day passes, you get weaker. Hmm. So you you start out at the peak of your abilities and you lose abilities as you get older you start to get weaker and weaker until you eventually die hmm. and the ending is determined by the things you did and the people that come to your funeral and the stories they tell about you at your funeral and oh, so interesting it's an interesting premise yeah it really is that's a good way to play on like some of the tropes of these classic games in a way that's more thoughtful yeah, you know, that's the thing about it. Like, I feel like it's right, not the kind of game that I don't know if I how I would get into it because it's not even meant to be like a lengthy game. Like you can get a, you can beat a run in a specific amount of time, like a short amount of time, because the intent is to do multiple runs right. and experience different elements of the story. Because you can't do it all in one run. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the idea of what it's trying to do is making me want to buy. It. Like, because yeah. I'm curious to see how well it, how well it's executed. Yeah, I'd be curious about that too. Yeah, I want to learn more about that. But now it's time to learn more. About the bonus round. <laughs> bonus round in memoriam. Remember bonus round. The bonus round is where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. And Pranav, what do you have for us? Well, I feel like this game is the embodiment of games I played at Miss Pat's house. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a surprisingly big one because it spawned sequels and spinoffs, all of which, many of which I've been playing and still play to the present. Um, and I was thankful to come across a cool remix of this or a cover of this by longtime favorite of the show, Lame Genie. Um, this is the stage theme rock cover variant from the game Bubble Bobble. Oh, yeah. Done up by Lame Genie.
there are some hardworking guys, I'll tell you that much. Um, this is the rock cover of the stage theme from the game Bubble Bobble. To be more specific, though, given the pace of it, this is actually like a cover of what we consider the hurry theme, the track that plays when you're almost out of time on a level mm-hmm. and the ghost is about, or not the ghost, the Grim Reaper is about to come and harvest your soul. There's a little know. bit of both, though, right? A little bit of column A, a little bit <laughs> of column B. Um, so, Bubble Bobble, I feel like. Well, one, I think it's kind of funny that there's a, a running theme of games that have one track that plays in them <laughs> on this episode that well, she had I mean, me playing I mean, as a kid. Yeah, if we're doing class, I mean, really early NES, that's that, and that's tend to be what happened. In. Well, I mean, but even back then, be- like Contra had stage themes, like yeah, oh, a lot yeah, of older it, games. Well, Super Mario had had stage themes as well, but, but it like, only had like three, like three, but th- th- three different songs. This one had Bubble Bubble, had the one. <laughs> so I feel like. Bubble Bobble is a particularly interesting game because, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, there was something about being young and learning things in a game for the first time and that sense of discovery mm. when you figure out something you didn't know which allows you to progress. And oddly enough, Bubble Bobble is one of the big ones for me because for those who've played Bubble Bobble, or haven't played it rather, there you are playing as a, dar- a dar- person who was turned into a dinosaur who can blow bubbles for some reason. And your goal is to get to the end of a dungeon to defeat the evil wizard who curse you and in turn also save your yours and your companion's fiancés. Uh, Bub and Bob's fiancés whose names I don't even know if they ever gave them. So they're anyway, not, the, not married, but to be married. To be married. Coming soon. <laughs> it's important to know that about these dinosaur characters. <laughs> Coming soon in the, to the Rainbow <laughs> Islands. They're getting married. But first, Bubble Bobble. So and They're registered, right? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, like, like they were at, like, by that game, you collected so much fruit and jewelry, though you don't need to get them anything. They're, they're, re- rich. they're registered on Target. They're on Target. We'll get them <laughs> they, something. Nice. They own Target. All that crap you find. You're not going to this wedding empty-handed. I'm that telling is, you this. Well, I'll, I'll bring it. some bubbles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll bring some bubbles. You don't think they have enough bubbles already, for now? No, they're, they get, they they remove the curse. They're bubble free. <laughs> they're bubble free. So now the idea of the game, though, is as you control yourself, what you can do is you can run or crush it. You can hobble. Um, yeah. you can jump. And you can blow bubbles. And your the goal is to put enemies in bubbles and then pop them, which is what kills enemies in the game. So you do this for a good number of stages. We're talking at least 40 levels. The game's total is about 100. Mm. Um, and then eventually I get to a level where you start out in a really tall pit. You can't get out. And it took me a stupid amount of time <laughs> to figure out how to get out of the pit. And I figured it out by accident. Because I got really frustrated and started mashing the buttons on the controller. And eventually... And then I noticed something weird on one of the mashes. Like, wait a minute. I jumped again. How did I jump twice? And that's when I realized you can jump on a bubble and jump off of the bubble before it pops. Because normally, you know, if you jump on a bubble not expecting to be able to jump off of it, you pop it and you fall through it. Mm-hmm. But if you time it right, you jump off of it as it's popping. And once I realized that, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. You could pop yourself all the way up. Yep. And I was astounded that you could do this. And it changed the whole game for me. I was like, wow, I feel so accomplished. <laughs> I learned how to jump off my own bubble barf. This is cool. Got the new bubble strat. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I only, I've never played Bubble Bobble um, proper. I've only ever played Puzzle Bobble. With the, uh, the puzzle game with the mm-hmm. different colored bubbles, which in America, I guess we call Bust a Move. Bust a Move. I'm um, not even sure why they did that. I don't know why. Which just made it more confusing when Bust a Move got released in North America, and we had to call it Bust a Groove. Mm-hmm. So I, that trademark. Oh, man. 
Um, but anyway, there's a uh, my favorite version of that game, Bust a Move Four for the PlayStation, has a uh, a speed run of it through on awesome games done quick. How do you speed run? That was just a week ago. Uh, story mode real fast come just think about like usually the enemies i mean did you like set up this quick chains just to kill the guys immediately or something well there's no enemies it's just uh, oh no puzzle the actual puzzles the actual puzzles yeah so it's it's story mode and he has to solve the puzzle super fast that's right because i think puzzle bobble busted move four was the first one that introduced the versus mode against the computer yeah there was that and then there was like um there's like a pulley system where you have to like kind of weigh out the bubbles yeah, on each side. Cruel. And he does it so fast. But like, I know there's a lot of like randomness with when the colors are coming out. And so it is like edge of your seat exciting to watch. I really enjoyed it. And also it's just nice to like hear the music and see the characters again. It's I really like it would cute. stress me to live in. It stressed me quite a bit because that game drives me crazy. I actually still play that competitively with friends. Mm. Like, and, oh, it's a great, it's a great versus game. Yeah. Yes, it is. And then when you guys have like, come on. Uh, I was so close. I was waiting for the purple, stupid purple bubble. Yeah, that was a game that I had uh, growing up. Um, I was, it was close to before I left the house. I got everyone in my family playing that game because it's just, it's easy to understand. And um, I feel like that version was the most forgiving with like the chain combos and stuff. But I got to ask yeah. though, do you feel like it's cheating or low tier? Uh, you know, I'm about to ask Corey, don't you? Yeah, the 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 aim line, right? That's what I was going to ask. What do you think of? It? Yeah, I think it is. The game, the game, it's training wheels. You, you can play with it, but it's just to get better at at knowing because the game is to is to use your eyes and to understand the angles of the of the game. I feel like it's a little of both. Yeah, because on one hand, I do agree. The whole point of it is meant to be training wheels. Like it's meant to be able to say, "Hey, you can see the you can see the trajectory." But the trade off to having that line. Is that you all? I personally feel like you ultimately end up wasting more time trying to line up shots using the line to tell you, okay, here it is. Whereas if you're at the point where you understand the trajectory, you're like, pop, 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 pop. And if you have finesse it sometimes, you just know it better. So you take less time just shot in the shot instead of lining up a dotted line That's to true. do it. Yeah, yeah. Because with, with, with the training wheels, you're constantly thinking about like, where are the wheels on the ground? Am I going to fall off? You know, how, how am I going to turn like this? Like you're constantly, but without it, you know, once you're moving, you're not thinking about those lines anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be overthinking each shot, mm-hmm. like trying to get each perfect shot. Now, I will say the trade-off though is that if you're playing against a person and both of you don't have the dotted line and you make that, try to make that one needed shot and you're off by just a pixel, oh, I hate it. you're screaming <laughs> like, oh, come on, that was right there. It's one of the few games I had for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Yeah, that was, that's, the, that's was the, the, first, the other day. It was the first game that I bought for it. Was that? But just talk about Neo Geo Pocket Color yesterday because they just released Card Fighters on the Switch. Yes, that's right. I saw that, and that, that's why I never played before. But I know you were really into oh, it. Oh, that was addictive. It's yeah. still good. Still good. It's a great little system. Um, nothing was ever going to go up against the Nintendo handhelds, but it it's was a funny great you say that system. too because I and I stand by this feeling. If they released that in the states just a year or two prior. I think it could have had a chance. Mm. The problem was by the time it finally got out in the States, and apparently we looked it up yesterday, it only lasted one year. Mm. It only lasted in the States for one year. Um, But by the time it was announced, similar to what happened with the Dreamcast, people already knew the Game Boy Advance was on the horizon. Yeah. So it was a matter of why buy this game system that was on somewhat on par with the Game Boy Color 
when the better one is coming right around the corner. Yeah, no, I'll I was working wait. at Electronics Boutique when that was going on, and like the the excitement was for all of like kind of the SNES throwback style games, and, and some of the SNES like re-releases on the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that to me, I was like, oh my gosh, having a Super Nintendo in your hands. Yeah, it was. It launched with like F Zero. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, everyone wanted that. Of course, everyone was going to want that. Um, so yeah, it, yeah. If maybe a year earlier. If the Neo Geo Pocket Color was released a year earlier, it would have had a second year. Well, the thing is, it's not just a second year. It was so much like it would have been out before there was talk of the advance. Like the advance a year prior, there was no news about it. So there was nothing to anticipate. You just were going to see a new console exist, and it looks awesome. So I feel like that would have held up quite a bit compared to the present day where, or the the day it came out, it was like, here, get this new system. It's 100 bucks. And it's like, why would I do that when the Game Boy Advance is right around the corner? It's going to be about a hundred bucks too. I think it, I think it actually ended up selling for like one fifty, two hundred, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, at that point, it's like, why spend the money when I know the next system's right around the corner and it's going to be better than this? Yeah, that, that was for a lot of people too. I was one of the few people who had the um, link cable. I think you got to use it one time. Use the link cable one time. It was at Katsukon. That's one time more than I did. It was, it was two thousand or two thousand and one, and I and I saw somebody walking into the convention. And um, we linked it up and we played three games. And I was like, that's the only time I'm ever going to use that. <laughs> that's also probably why there's a bit of vindication to Car Fighters releasing on the Switch because what they ended up doing was they put both the SNK and Capcom versions in the same file. You can choose which one you want to play, but you have save files for each respective cart and you can trade between the yeah, files. I'm so glad they they were thoughtful in doing that. Was that well, who did the? It was I, um, um, Limited Run, right? I don't know. Honestly, I don't I know. Think, I think it's limited run, um, and they're very thoughtful in in their releases. Like they they think about how the game was played, how people remember it. But the thing is, I don't think limited run develops any of the games. They only produce the physical cart form, right? Oh. Well, I thought I think they have a hand in like how it's produced. I think I don't think so. Like I'll look it up later, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, anyway, we got to continue on. <laughs> <the show. laughs> All right. So my 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 uh, bonus run track is um, actually from Secret of Mana. This is um, an orchestrated uh, arrangement of the track I Won't Forget, composed by Hiroki Kakuda and arranged by David Gray for orchestra.
That was I Won't Forget for Secret of Mana, orchestrated by David Gray, composed by Hiroki Kakuda. You better not forget the Secret of Mana, because if you do, who's going to share it? <laughs> well, I just thought it would be fitting to end the show with, not end the show, but you know, end, our, end our, our, our music selections with a track called I Won't Forget. Oh, yeah. That's a very, yes, I see a good choice for a track. Like, because I feel like deep down, I won't forget it. Like, it, it saddens me in the sense that it was long enough ago in my childhood that I can't remember very specific elements. Like, hey, I, I spilled Kool-Aid on the floor and I had to mop it up and that was weird. But, like, it's just the impact, really. Because, again, and that's going to come up at the end of the episode, but it's it meant a lot at a time in my life where I didn't really have a lot mm-hmm. that someone was like, hey, I'll take interest in this goofy kid and give him stuff to do. And I genuinely feel like in this day and age, that probably doesn't happen very often because we've become a society where, I mean, obviously it might not exist everywhere, but I feel like it's more persistent than not or prevalent than not where people just kind of want to mind their own business Mm -hmm. and not engage with their neighbors anymore. So that kid who doesn't have a lot going on isn't going to get approached by a random neighbor and if they do, the parents are probably like, is that, is that person weird? Yeah, no. And um, it also shows like, um, um, like the, like the neighbor, how some people in the neighborhood were still looking out for each other. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what, what your old neighborhood is like today, but it ain't like that. I can promise you that. Yeah. I have a feeling I wasn't going to make any presumptions. Oh, trust me. <laughs> but it, it is not. <laughs> it's that, that said, my neighbor, my old, my, the neighborhood I grew up in has changed so much and yeah. that much for the very worst, uh, but at that time, it was still like low income. Like people didn't have a lot of money there. But the community looked out for each Like I knew who all my neighbors were. My neighbors knew who my parents were and vice versa. Yeah. And like people talked. Like I knew, they, I mean, if they weren't, I wasn't friends with all of them. I knew all the kids, all the parents. I knew whose car what was. I knew if a car shouldn't be somewhere. Like it was weird stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And also as kids, like you're, you, um, you, you notice those things too. So yeah, these are these are things. Even like not just the people, but like that time and place. It's not something we're ever gonna forget so easily. That's yeah. for sure. Like I just look back on all of it. It's such a different time. Yeah. And I know, admittedly, that every generation has a it's a different time period for themselves. <laughs> yeah. But. I do truly feel like that might have been like for me. Cause I mean, I, I feel like I have a good grasp on like certain changes over time because maybe it's due to like things like the internet existing that keeps track of everything. Like it's like a time capsule. Right. Um, I just don't feel like there was a greater change. Say for example, if you were born in like 1992, right? It's a random number. Mm. Like, if you were in your formidable years, pre-13, and then everything after that, I don't think things changed but so much. Mm-hmm. Definitely not enough to be like, man, remember back then when this happened? Yeah. Or things were like this? Because everything was already like it is now <laughs> in that era. Well, yeah. I mean, technology certainly accelerated a lot of things, and um, our city in Delaware here is very like, I feel like it's gone through a lot of changes just in the past 10 years, let alone the past 30 years. Oh yeah. Like, and the thing is like, I'm really good about that when regards to 
oddly enough, roads. Like I, I know when a tra- I can tell you in some respects when a traffic light got built, yeah, or when that overpass added an extra lane. <laughs> like I have a odd, uncanny sense of those things. Oh, I gotta tell you this though, um, uh, graffiti has never been better. Oh yeah, graffiti everywhere. Guzco on top. Yes, Kaz. Man, I know you, Kaz. No, Kaz. Kaz was caught. Still doing work though. <laughs> Despite being no, caught, yeah. No, Kaz is like our age. Wow. I know people are like that's dedication. Also, like people are like you're 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 this old. Why are you still doing? More like you're this old, and you climbed to the top of that interstate sign and then spray painted yeah. the back of it. I'm pretty sure it's the same one I'm thinking of. Um. Anyways, for more information on the bonus round. You can go to rhythmandpixels.com. We'll have links to the artists, band camps, and sound clouds for Lame Genie and for David Gray and for everyone else, and even Flashy Goodness. All the links to all those places where you can find the music and buy the music and support these artists. <laughs> I think Pernell needed a little pick-me-up. So we're going to listen to this track for a little while. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So thanks, to everybody, for listening to our uh, our episode 31-3 in memoriam. Um, let's just get down to this. And clap. <laughs> I like it. Like, it, I, it, it definitely is the case there. Like, I... There's a certain fondness to a lot of that era. Um, the TV shows, the music, the serial, um, and more. But nonetheless, despite all those things, and despite even how things can feel weird lately as far as like socializing and human connection is concerned, <laughs> there's just something special to be said about the connections and friendships that I made in that era in my childhood. And losing someone with and from that era... Despite the fact that my spec, my understanding is that she did, she passed away of old age. Like it wasn't like anything crazy or anything mm. like that. It's still sad. Like I haven't seen this lady again in like maybe 25, 30 years. And yet I was still reached out to. That just goes to show you what that connection was like. That the daughter still was like, Pernell would want to know this. <laughs> like it, it hit like a truck. Like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's these, um, those connections that you can make too that like, like when they when when they suddenly go missing, it brings everything back. Like it brings everything back into your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a like a like a tsunami of sorts. Yeah, it's a tsunami of memories and, and emotions too. And she, honestly, she was definitely one of the great ones. A very kind lady. Like again, she had no need to give two hoots about my behind. And yet <laughs> here she was. Like I, I I stand by my belief that I feel like she bought a lot of the gay she bought. Just because to have you come around. Yeah. Just to come around, yeah. Because, yeah. like, she... I mean, she likes video games now because, like, in her obituary, like, it says she still played video games up until her death. Mm. Like, she stuck with the hobby. But she didn't start out playing those games. Like, she got into them getting me into do, them. Do you know if she if she kept, like, if she bought newer systems or did she just, like, have, like, a, like a Nintendo sitting around that she would... That I don't know, That'd but you know, I, I actually kind of want to ask her daughter about it. Like, do you yeah. know what system she left out on? Like, what did she stop buying at? You know, mm-hmm. but I could picture her stopping it like probably before they left carts at least. Yeah. But then again, who knows? She could well, have probably car- rolled it yeah, out. Uh, cartridges made sense, you know. 
It's a simpler time for now. Simpler it was time. A simpler time. Cartridge and was a cartridge, and a CD was a magical device for the Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, I look at my mom, and mm-hmm. like, even though she never really stuck with games per se, I bought her a Game Boy Color. I remember when I bought it, so I bought it for her specifically because I thought for Christmas would be a good present because I knew she liked Tetris. Mm-hmm. But then I tried to get her to read more because my mom's not really good at reading. Some might say she can't. Uh, but I was like, maybe if I buy her Pokemon Red and I buy Pokemon Blue, you can do. <laughs> I can help her get better at reading by playing this game uh, with her. Yeah. But in the end, she's like, I don't want Pokemon. She threw it away. Yeah. And she just kept playing Tetris. And to this day, to oh. this day, she still plays Tetris on the same Game Boy Color before bed. Oh, man. I think Tetris is like... Is, is like second language. You, you you grow up learning English and then you learn Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alexi. Yeah. So um, if you're um, interested in more about the show, if you'd like to say hi to us, if you have a track suggestion or a topic suggestion, or if you know an artist, or if you're an artist yourself, a remix artist or a uh, game composer, we'd love to hear from you. And you can please send us an email. Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. That's still the best way to uh, reach out to us is through our email. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about our show and get a full track listing from this episode and all of our episodes, you can go to our website, rhythmandpixels.com. And we're out there on all the social media platforms, but we don't do a whole, whole lot out there. But we do have a Discord server that you, we, uh, we chat with all of our listeners and members. Um, and it's a good place to hang out. So you can find our Discord uh, server at the top of our webpage, rhythmandpixels.com. And uh, um, oh, we have a YouTube station. Go to youtube.com slash rhythmandpixels. <laughs> we have a 24 7 8 bit and 16 bit classics station there. And if you'd like to help support the show and get access to cool, free, exclusive content and um, like goodies like stickers and mugs and t shirts and stuff, you can become a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash rhythmandpixels. And at the end of every episode, we like to thank all of our members at the highest levels of our Patreon. We have to start with Frankly Zappa, Kristen, Mike Myers, Alf Person, Vashin8060, um, Alex Messenger from A VGM Journey, Andreas Milberg, Brian Pitt, Cameron Werma, Carlos Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast, Chris Dienerson, Chris Wisner, aka Musashi219, Chris Daffer Sendstrom. Did I say that already? You say Chris Dienerson. Yes. Okay. Um, I had a weird deja vu moment. There. <laughs> uh, Christopher Sentro. Too many Chris. It's all happening. Uh, Davy Cakes, David Taylor, Harold Howard, Justin Schneider from XVGM Radio, uh, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast, Michael Jannings, uh, Rage Cage, who is now the, um, the host and producer of a new VGM podcast called the VGM Porium. Come get all your greatest hits and more. Stocked his shelves are lined day to day with everything you could possibly want and he will be on our show in the near future as we do our spinoff showcase I, I like this idea the idea of like wishing them luck the quote oh, old classic Troy McClure um, wish our friends wish them luck as they start their new VGM podcast journeys that's right he is he is our future treat them well <laughs> let them lead the way. Him lead the, help them lead the way uh, Reinhardt Selkova thank you Sleepy S'more thank you Steve Miller Taco the Autistic Gamer 89 and Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy. Um, also got a note real quick before I forget. Mm-hmm. Congratulations to Ryan Helts, Reinhardt Zelkova, who is actually, if he hasn't finished it, he's at the very end of Shin Megami Tensei 5. And like myself, he actually plays on hard mode. Oh. I'm amazed he's that far that fast, but I don't know. Well, congratulations. Kicking it out. Mazel tov. 
Um, thank you everybody for your continued support of our show and for everything that you're doing. Our next episode is our live episode, our live streamed episode for our Patreon members, which we'll be recording tomorrow, actually, once you're listening to this. Um, all of our information for our uh, live streamed episodes you can find on our website and you can find on all of our um, social media platform stuff. So I think to reiterate, it's going to be unexpected multiplayer like for the patrons, but of course, if you find yourself being like, "I don't know what you're talking about," multiplayer is fine too. Yeah, whatever you want, that's cool. We're not, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not your dad. <laughs> <laughs> you can do what you want. I hope not. Otherwise, there's some weird, uh, you know, Paprion type mess going on over here. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to our show. Um, we'll see you next week. My name is Rob Nichols, and I'm Pernell. Have a good night. Or good day. Or whenever, wherever you good are. Good day, mate. I wouldn't suggest falling asleep at the wheel if you're listening while you're driving. But if you're in Australia, you're doing all right. Doing all right. Do what you want. <laughs> I'm not your dad. And remember, so I guess, again, theme of the episode, you get it. Um, uh, we, as we're all older now. Many of us are older than others. <coughs> um, it's worth noting that it sometimes stands to help that you, I mean, be aware of your surroundings and the people that you know occupy them because every once in a while you might come across an individual or individuals who could stand to have somebody that you know, takes notice of them, helps them out with their life, gives them something. Even if it's like a howdy hello every day when you're walking out your door to get your car or I don't know, that interaction on the street of like get some ice cream. I don't know. Know they're learning their kids' names in your neighborhood. Just engage them. Be a part of people's lives outside of your own bubble. And I know it's harder than it used to be in some respects because people feel weirder. Uh, things are feel more antagonistic between the individuals, neighbors or not. But sometimes I think that's also just more about how social media and like just the news or anything for that matter just makes it out to be like sometimes it really is just a matter of like that's your neighbor. And for the most part, they're on the level. And when that comes down to it, being there for people who might not that you might not know need it can go a long way to make their lives much better than you could possibly expect or hope. I just did an episode of a woman I haven't seen in 30 years. I mean, <laughs> there you go. I mean, it, it she helped steer my life in a direction at least emotionally that I would not have had if she weren't there despite mm. the fact that she wasn't there for a long period of time. So, just saying, it's worth it.